Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Banter Podcast, episode 26. This is your host, Ben Cohen. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Luciano. Mike, my friend, how are you this week? Ben, I'm smoky. We've got wildfires raging across the western U.S., and right now there is just a blanket of smoke in the sky here in the Bay Area, and there's ash on the ground. My weather app says the air quality is unhealthy, so it's not good to be outside for any extended period of time. Uh, It's been like this on and off where I live for about a week, and it's been very disorienting. A few mornings ago, I was walking our dog And I looked up and I thought, wow, that's a really red moon. I wonder what's going on with the sky. And then I realized it wasn't the moon. It was the sun. And I'm looking right at the sun. There was so much smoke in the air that I was able to look directly at this red sun and not have my eyeballs burn out of my head. The next morning, it got even weirder. In the summer months, I usually wake up on my own in the morning. No alarm clock. I tend to rise with the sun, so to speak, which is early enough. The next morning, I wake up, and it is pitch black in my bedroom, and I check my phone, and it's 8.30 in the morning. This is like two hours after the sun rose, and I thought, this can't be right. What's wrong with my phone? Well, it turns out nothing, because all the clocks in my house agreed that, yes, it was 8.30. And I opened the blinds, and it's just dark outside. You just you couldn't even see the sun. Just so that's, that's much apocalyptic, man. Tell me about it. So it's been you know the last week. The sky has alternated between gray and sepia and orange. And I've been living in California for almost a year now, and I have to say, I think I'm going to have to ask to speak to the manager. I, I know it gets hot here and the there are wildfires, but yeah, I've had people who've lived here for a long time tell me that this year is especially bad and that they haven't seen anything like this. Not that I have anything to complain about compared to some other people who've been adversely affected. I mean, many people have lost their homes. Some have lost their lives. The damage to wildlife in the ecosystem has just been massive. Can't be to do with climate change, though. No, I mean, why would it? They they say, so they claim, you know, I mean, you know, some people say it's a Chinese hoax. Some people say that, you know, the climate gets hotter, it gets colder. You know, who, who can really say? Who can who can really say, except for the people who have lived here and say, I've never seen anything like this. Well, and climate scientists and NASA and the 98 percent of all scientists on Earth. Uh, but other than that, who who can really say? And the military, which regards climate change as a national security issue. But again, you know, who who can really say, you know, it's like one side this, the other side that. Well, speaking of national security, (laughs) we we are recording this on the 19-year anniversary of September 11th, where 19 hijackers flew planes into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, and one was taken down in a field in Pennsylvania by heroic passengers. This is also the 19th anniversary of Donald Trump saying on live television hours after the towers came down, they were still smoldering. Here's an audio clip of Donald Trump. He he has his priorities straight, Ben, right? So thousands of people are dead. Their bodies or what's left of them aren't even cold yet. And Donald Trump goes on TV and had this to say. You have one of the landmark buildings down in the financial district, 40 Wall Street. Uh, did you have any damage or did you know what, what's happened down there? Well, it was an amazing phone call I made. 40 Wall Street actually was the second tallest building in downtown Manhattan. 
And, and it was actually before the World Trade Center was the tallest. And then when they built the World Trade Center, it became known as the second tallest. And now it's the tallest. Not only did Trump use the opportunity to brag about having the tallest building in lower Manhattan at that point, but Ben, do you know what else is noteworthy about this claim? Uh, let me guess. Um, there were problems with accuracy. You got it. His 40 Wall Street was not, in fact, the tallest building in lower Manhattan. So, look, this isn't really the point at the end of the day, but this is just classic Trump bragging about himself and having the tallest, having the biggest, having the best at a completely inappropriate time. And oh, yeah, by the way, it wasn't even true. By the way, at, Trump was at a 9-11 event this morning where they were reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. And in the video of him, you can clearly see Trump saying all of the words except for under God. I personally don't care. But if that were Obama, well, you know. But Trump's a Christian, though. He, he Trump's definitely a Christian because uh, the Bible that uh, he carries around with him in his daughter's in his Jewish daughter's purse. <laughs> Trump's is as Christian as his Jewish daughter and Jewish son-in-law. He's as Christian <laughs> as I am. It is amazing, though, that he has been able to get away with this basically his entire life of just making shit up, pretending to be something he isn't, bullshitting his way to the, I mean, literally to the very, very top. I mean, it does show you how far being a sociopathic liar will get you. You can become president, apparently, at least at least in America. I'm not sure whether this works elsewhere elsewhere in the world. Yeah, I mean, no surprises, obviously, no surprises uh, with uh, Trump's uh, Trump turning uh, one of the worst tragedies in American history into something about himself and how big his, basically how big his dick is, which is really what it's about. All of this is about Trump having an inferiority complex about the size of his penis. That's my theory. Uh, it's not a bad theory. I think it's why you see billionaires getting into the space exploration game. You know, who's got the yeah. bigger rocket? Elon Musk <laughs> or Jeff Bezos? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. You know, look look at New York. New York really is just like uh, it's a sort of a, an egoic playground for billionaires trying to show off how big their uh, how big their buildings are. And that's probably why Trump hates Bezos, because Bezos, like, is Bezos into rockets? Yeah, he, uh, he's he got a private company called Deep Origins, I believe. Uh, yeah, of course, of course. Every billionaire's got a, you know. But if Trump was a real billionaire, I think he'd be trying to go into space. Which I And I don't think he's a real billionaire because he isn't trying to go into space. Yeah, uh, excuse it's me, it's called Blue Origin. Bezos is... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I think that if Trump was trying to go into space, that that would, you know, then we'd be fairly confident he was actually a real billionaire. But the fact that he was only really interested in New York real estate is uh, is a pretty much a sign that he's not actually a real billionaire at all. Well, don't forget his properties in other cities in the country and around the world. But yes, uh, gotcha. although you could make the argument that NASA is a executive agency. So, you know, he, he's got his, basically, he's, he's got his uh, space company. Hopefully only for another, for, for another eight weeks. Well, don't forget, there's still two and a half months between the election day and the inauguration. And if he loses, he's not going to leave quietly. Oh, no, he's not going to leave quietly. Absolutely not. He's, did you see today he was, all, he was talking about um, smashing protests. If there are any protests about the election night, he's going to uh, he's going to sick his uh, military or his or his law enforcement uh, officials on all the protesters. We've got that to look forward to. I mean, I'm pl I don't know about you, but I I am genuinely like that's I I'm considering getting out of the country for election night. 
Yeah, I mean, you're not far from D.C., so and I have you know, family there, and I would rather they not be in the area uh, when the election comes because you could get some really crazy things happening. You could get those protests and the riots, and you could get clashes between Antifa and the Boogaloo Boys and the Proud Boys and just your garden variety right-wing militia nutters. I mean, it, it could get really... Uh, hellish out there oh man i mean i'm i'm planning on it i'm i'm i genuinely think that's what's going to happen i i I can't see i think uh the summer was basically just a preview about what's but what's going to happen like the black lives matter uprising was basically like it was almost like a sort of a preparation for what's about to kick off if um, if trump doesn't leave office I mean, that was, you know, racial injustice. That was anger over racial injustice. This would include anger over racial injustice and the hijacking of democracy. So I think it would be like basically uh, the protests on steroids. I will say this, though. I've said it before. If Trump has lost the election and is still in the White House on January 21st, I am buying a ticket to Washington. And I'm not going to leave until Trump leaves. Until, until he gets out. Yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't see this going well. I really don't. And I don't know anybody in politics who does think it's going to go well. You know, it's every politician, you know, every like, I mean, Biden was warning about this months ago and I, and people were saying, oh, he's, he's, uh, he's being alarmist. But no, I think um, he was saying pretty much his, his, conver- his standard wisdom in conventional wisdom now in Washington that this guy is not going to leave. So, you know, we have to prepare accordingly. Speaking um, <laughs> of not creating alarm, uh, it's probably time to discuss uh, this week, this week's mega story, the Bob Woodward book, which, um, which should have shouldn't really come as much of a surprise to anyone, but nevertheless, it now transpires that Trump did know how dangerous the coronavirus was, it, and knew that it was four or five times more deadly than than the regular flu, and deliberately lied about it, deliberately underplayed it to the American public so as to not create panic. Now it's turning out it's not just old people, Bob, but just today and, and yesterday. Some startling facts came out. It's not just old, older yeah, exactly. young people. To plenty of young people. So give me a moment of talking to somebody going through this with Fauci or somebody who kind of uh, it caused a pivot in your mind because it's clear just from what's in on the public record that you went through a pivot on this to, oh my God, the gravity is uh, almost inexplicable and unexplainable. Well, I think, Bob, really, to be honest with you, I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down Yes, sir. because I don't want to create a panic. That was Donald Trump on March 19th, 2020. And it goes against... What we have seen from Donald Trump publicly, he and here he, he wanted to play it down because he didn't want to panic. I believe half of that. I believe he wanted to play it down, but I believe he wanted to play it down not because he didn't want to cause a panic, but because he worried that it would damage his reelection prospects. He will downplay anything that he thinks is bad for him, and he will talk up anything he thinks is good for him. And like you, Ben, I am not surprised at this, but it's nice to have proof of it. You know, it's, it's nice to have it on the record. And this stuff is coming out in a, in a new book he has called Rage. And for this book, 
he conducted 18 on-the-record interviews with Trump. This is after Woodward wrote Fear in 2018, which was an incredibly unflattering book about the president. Why on earth Trump would agree to do more interviews with him is beyond me. But you won't be shocked to learn that there's a report saying that Jared Kushner thought doing these interviews was a good idea. Because obviously he did, because Kushner's got the political instincts of a drunk monkey. This is this is just another moment. I'm not shocked at all. You know, it's just like last week we were talking about how when reports came out that Trump had called soldiers losers and suckers, we weren't surprised because it, it matched up with what he had said about McCain and, and Vindman and, and other veterans who crossed him. We weren't at all surprised. And some people are pissed at Woodward saying that he should have released these recordings earlier. But you can make two compelling counter arguments to that. The first is, I think the closer the damaging information is revealed to election day, the worse it is for that candidate. It just in any case, no matter who it is. If Woodward released this back in March, this thing would be well out of the news cycle and we wouldn't be talking about it anymore. And I got to say, come election day, the this audio of Trump downplaying the virus is also going to be out of the news cycle. Maybe it gets replaced by a new recording, but this one in particular will be old news. The second counter argument I'd make is that I don't think the recordings we've heard are going to make much of a difference. I mean, think of all the times we thought Trump was finished because of the first 500 scandals. We've said, oh, surely this will be the thing that causes him to absolutely crater in the polls. Nope. And I think a lot. some people think this is a, a sort of coup de grace for Trump. I mean, the, the Onion had a great article today. I sent it to you, Ben, before the podcast. It was, it's titled, Defensive Bob Woodward Claims He Withheld Interview Since Journalism Hasn't Worked on Trump So Far. You know, the parody saying, in my defense, I only kept this damning interview with the president from the American people because it's not going to make any difference whatsoever. Uh, going on to say that, you know, if, if we lived in a world where ironclad evidence of the president's dishonesty would lead to repercussions, you know, he would have released it, but we don't. Absolutely spot on. I mean, you know, look, yeah, my observations were, my first instinct to this was how could he be this stupid to do 18 hours of interviews with, was it 18 separate interviews or 18 hours? 18 Um, separate interviews. 18 separate interviews with Bob Woodward, the guy who brought down Nixon. I mean, this is sort of mind-blowingly stupid on Trump's behalf and those around him, like who you say it was Jared Kushner's fault. He can barely do a press conference without confessing to some other sort of high crime and misdemeanor. Um, So whoever thought this was a good idea to put him in there with Woodward, unsupervised, 18 times... It's just, it's astonishing, really. That, that was my first thing. And then, yeah, of course, you know, yeah, we knew he lied anyway. We, we knew he was lying from the get-go uh, about the coronavirus because obviously other people weren't lying about it. So the rest of the world, the rest of the planet weren't telling lies to their population. So Trump, because he isn't a full dictator, can't he, he can't constrain or restrict the flow of information coming into the United States. So most well-read, educated people understood that he was lying to them. You know, so uh, we, we've already we've always known that he's lied about it. And look, yeah, yeah, maybe Woodward could have said something earlier on, but you know, like you said, I think um, uh, the later the better. Really, the later on in the election, the better. The more it hurts Trump. And I do, I, I'm going to disagree with you. I, th- I think it it could have an effect. Uh, it, 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 you know, look, the race is going to come down to a few very, very key demographics, right? One of them um, are educated white women and the other as older voters, both of which are basically pretty disgusted with Trump. 
uh, and are looking for excuses not to vote vote for him. And particularly older voters, right? The polling shows now that Biden is Biden is beating Trump with with uh, older voters, particularly particularly old older white voters, which is extremely important for him because old people a they vote and b there's a lot of them, uh, particularly in places like Florida. So this can this could be quite beneficial to him. You know, look, basically anything the Democrats can can take over the next few months, next few weeks that, you know, they, they should, they should be grateful for it. I mean, I think that this was, I would have preferred maybe for it to be in October. It could suck the air. I'm sure Trump has got some surprise, uh, October surprises in store for Biden. So this could have sucked the air out of that. And it could have created, created more, potentially more uh, chaos for Trump then. You know, overall, I think, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big, it, it is a big story. It, it is a big story because it, one of the interesting things is that it shows you that Trump, like, I mean, the fact that he, he appeared to intellectually understand what was happening. Right, he appeared to genuinely intellectually understand that the virus was very, very bad. Mate, I, I don't know. Does that make it worse or better? I don't really know whether that makes it worse because he knowingly lied. Was he too dumb to understand it, or was he smart enough to understand what was happening but lied anyway? You know, he's clearly saying, "Bob, it's it's not just young people." There's another clip where he talks about how it goes through the air, and he seems to understand the gravity of it. Right. But the thing is, his his public facing like, oh, this is bad for me. So I, I, I guess he just had this weird private moment. Well, it's, I guess technically it's not private because these conversations were on the record and Trump knew that. But he just had this brief one-on-one moment of candor. So I think it's that. I, you know, I, I think he he understood the gravity, and then but he just doesn't care. He doesn't care what reality is. He's going to make up the reality when it suits him. You know, it, it strikes me, you know, Woodward and Carl Bernstein, they, they took down Richard Nixon. And you think about how they did that. Woodward and Bernstein had to talk to dozens, hundreds of no-name bureaucrats, no-name D.C. swamp creatures before they finally got to talk to the deputy director of the FBI, Mark Felt. And now you fast forward in today. The president is just going straight to Bob Woodward and just saying, you know what, uh, like, here's here's all of the things I knew about the, the coronavirus pandemic. You know, it's just completely wild. And, you know, something like this, I feel like these tapes coming out of him admitting he's downplaying the virus, just any number of other scandals in, in this administration would have sunk previous presidents. And I wonder what does it take now to take down a president, scandal-wise? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the U.S. has basically been primed for um, for fascism uh, and, and dictatorship for a very long time now, I think. I don't, I don't think it, it should be much of a surprise, really, that, you know, that this is what's happened. It's been happening for a while. Like, you know, the Fox News industry and, uh, you know, the right-wing media industry, rather, and Fox News and Breitbart and uh, right-wing hate radio – this has been conditioning the American public for a strongman takeover for, for for decades now. You know, it's been you've had an erosion of trust in the media. Most Americans don't trust the media. Uh, most Americans think politicians are lying to them. Most Americans think that there are too many immigrants. Uh, you, you know, it, it's uh, you're basically America has been ripe for fascism. I would say for at least twenty five years. And and finally, you know, yeah, the right combination of uh, 
media of media savvy and sort of sociopathic narcissism in Trump who came along and basically exploited it, exploited this this um these conditions in America that how are you know, it was I just feel it was it was bound to happen. I, I don't know what you do to get out of this situation. America is basically in a has been in a pre-fascist state for a long time and now we're going through the first stages of fascism. And if Trump wins, if Trump you know he's already trying to to rig the election and prevent people from voting and if he if he somehow wins in november like i i think and along with many others i think that that's pretty much the end of it yeah you can basically kiss american democracy goodbye it's proven that the system doesn't work it's proven that you can't hold the powerful to account you can't hold the president to account think about the crimes this guy's committed while in office and there's literally nothing that can be done about it right not with the current system the political system is basically being sort of co-opted by corporate interests and taken over by the Republicans who never who who consistently underperform vote wise but consistently are overrepresented politically so you've got this system where the Republican party is almost impossible to dislodge them from power it the fact that it's, it takes someone like Donald Trump for the Democrats to to um, to flip the flip Congress is is ridiculous. I mean, it's it, we're in a cra- it's, it's completely crazy that that's what it took. I mean, for Christ's sake, Trump was backing backing an alleged paedophile. Where was the race in um, U.S. Senate race in Alabama? U.S. Senate race Roy in Alabama. Moore. Yeah, Roy Moore. I mean, it's insane. This is that's what it took for a Democrat to get elected. The Republicans had to back a pedophile. Thinking back on it, I remembered. The time when I realized that the United States could go down a very dark road, and it was 2002, early 2003, when there was the run-up to the Iraq War, and you had people on the right, like Bill O'Reilly, and he was saying that you could speak out against the war, but once the war starts, we expect you to shut up. You had Laura Ingram write a book called Shut Up and Sing around this time. And you had MSNBC, for shit's sake, which back in those days had like an identity crisis. It didn't know what it was. It wanted to be. MSNBC fired Phil Donahue, uh, the only anti-war anchor it had. You know, Phil Donahue had a show back then. He got canned because he was against the war. And cable news, I, I don't know if it was just, I don't know if it was MSNBC in particular or cable news. If you were going to have a uh, an anti-war person on, you needed to have two pro-war commentators on. And it was just crazy. And people who were against the war were being, you know, browbeaten into silence with vapid slogans like, oh, but don't you support the troops? You know, that's what they would get. Oh, you don't support the troops? And it's like, I support the troops by not wanting to send them into a war of choice. But that phrase was just kind of used as a way to to silence critics because it doesn't you know, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. The question isn't do you support the troops? The question is do you support the war? Do you support the policy? And that's when looking around, I was in college at the time, and uh, I just remember thinking, holy shit, there is a group of people on the right that just they want it. They want the fascism. They're so ready for it. If the right person comes along, they'll go all in, and they might have their guy right now. Oh, they, they absolutely do. Yeah, I remember this all too well. Like, I was in, uh, I was at Oregon State. I took a year, well, I was in college in England, then a year in Oregon State. And there were pro-war marches on campus, 
which was which were in 2003 it was completely insane right that that, that uh, you know the rest of the planet there were massive you know massive massive anti-war demonstrations i mean i think something like a million people took to the streets in the uk alone to protest the war before it even started uh, you know but in in america there were um yeah there were pro-war marches it was it was it was ridiculous um yeah so you know again i think um you're right this is this has been going on for a little while now uh this has been going on for yeah probably 30 years now we're here now this is exactly this is exactly sort of played out as you as you would one's worst fears about what what could happen to american democracy is happening now the only saving grace is that trump is an idiot Right. He he can't he had he can't control himself. He has very little self control. He's not bright when it comes to policy or uh, many aspects of like strategic thinking. You know, the guy thinks he can think to, he can think in terms of the twenty four hour news cycle, and that's about it. So these are the advantages that civilized society has against Trump. Yeah, he is a moron. I mean, it's like his his supporters. There was a um, well, was a, there was a quote uh, from uh, I don't know if you do, you do you follow John Cleese on the on on Twitter. I do not. So it's yeah, good fun to follow John Cleese on Twitter. But John John Cleese today tweeted uh, said you can fool some of the people all of the time, and you can fool all of the people some of the time, but you can fool all Trump supporters all of the time because they're <laughs> even even dumber than he is. <laughs> <laughs> right and this is the problem like you know this is the issue is that basically you know fascist and it, any political extremist is usually not particularly bright they might be effective at certain things they might have a certain you know they might have a certain set of skills you know like trump is clearly very skilled media operator he knows how to generate attention and headlines and he knows how to dominate and control people but he otherwise he i mean he's an idiot and everybody who's been around him thinks that he's a moron I mean, it was like these these comments about the military, uh, the, the military guys, you know, John Kelly and and um, uh, Mattis, General Mattis, who I mean, they both said that the guy was a moron. They he had the kind of an understanding of of an eighth grader, you know, and I th- and I think that that's what's allowing the the resistance, if you want to call it that, to be effective against this guy, and and um, you know create a mass movement to try and get him out of office you know as, as much as i like to kind of like you know as much as i like to rail on america i think that you know there's a many good things still about american society uh, that are you know there is a civil society in america and it's very you know it's alive it's vibrant it's it's increasingly more organized and well-funded and and i don't and i do see i mean look you know we we, we segue this into the to, into the uh well before we do that you mentioned john cleese talking about morons, it would be podcast malpractice not to play this clip. I think the problem with people like this is that they are so stupid that they have no idea how stupid they are. You see, if you're very, very stupid, how can you possibly realize that you're very, very stupid? You'd have to be relatively intelligent to realize how stupid you are. There's a, a wonderful bit of research by a guy called David Dunning at Cornell, who's a friend of mine, I'm proud to say, who's pointed out that in order to know how good you are at something requires exactly the same skills as it does to be good at that thing in the first place, which means, and this is terribly funny, that if you're absolutely no good at something at all, then you lack exactly the skills that you need to know 
know that you're absolutely no good at it. And this explains not just Hollywood, but almost the entirety of Fox News. I I just had to play that because that that's just one of my my favorite explanations on uh, stupidity and imbecility. Genius. But Genius. yes. So so yeah okay. I just wanted to throw that in there. So. We can talk about October potential October surprises now. Yeah, so I mean, look, from what I, you know, the the if you look at the modelling, I I'm, I basically check in at five thirty eight election model. Uh, they've got a whole, um, they take the polls and and uh, they've got a quite a, quite a sophisticated sort of um, simulation model, right? Where they they plug in lots of different potential scenarios for the election and how many in how many of those scenarios does how many times does Biden win and how many times does Trump win according to the data and the and the various different ways it could play out and according to 538 I mean but Biden's lead is solidifying and his ways that he has many more ways to victory than Trump does and it, according to their simulation out of every hundred uh hundreds scenarios biden wins 75 of them and trump wins 25 of them so you know trump is there's if if i'm in trump's campaign i'm getting very very panicked right now because they're running out of money number one Uh, number two he hasn't made any appreciable gains in swing states where he really needs to there was last week it looked a bit different you know there was there were some polls that came out that said he was extremely competitive uh in a number of states you know pennsylvania i think wisconsin as well uh, and Florida, but those leads haven't really materialised, or the or the, the the tightening of the polls hasn't really um, solidified. They're, they're very much you know in flux, but favouring you know favouring Biden, and they favoured Biden consistently for months now. So if if you're in Trump's campaign, I would be slightly worried right now, you know. And that's and this is not just you know obviously I want Biden to win. Just looking at it kind of soberly, what must they be thinking about now? Biden's outraised them in by he raised over three oh, was it three hundred and sixty million or something in, for August, which is a kind of a stunning amount of money. You know, I'm, I'm never going to count Trump out, right? You always the guy's always dangerous. The guy's always got something up his sleeve. The guy can always change the narrative. He's a he's very very good at it, but he hasn't been able to do it thus far. I was I was a bit worried after the convention about the whole law and order thing, uh, but it turns out that hasn't played very well either. Like it's flopped big time. Um, he rolled it out the whole law and order thing in in an attempt to get you know suburban women on side, but he hasn't budged the polls. His popularity hasn't improved post convention. You know, there's no movement at all. So what you know, what does he do? What does he do in October? What can he do? What a potential! And I'm interested in this because I think you know everyone should be prepared for the absolute worst. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on what he can? What what might be coming up in October? So one thing I was going to mention, and I, I really have to thank my friend for this because, literally, as you were talking, he sent me a link to an article in the Hartford Current because I was going to talk about John Durham because John Durham, he is the U.S. attorney for the District of Connecticut. And you might recall that a while back, Durham was tapped by Attorney General Bill Barr to investigate the investigators of Russiagate. And this article says that Nora Danahy, 
Connecticut prosecutor who was top aide to John Durham's Trump-Russia investigation resigns amid concern about pressure from AG William Barr. This is saying that federal prosecutor Nora Dennehy, a top aide to U.S. attorney John H. Durham in his Russia investigation, has quietly resigned, at least partly out of concern that the investigative team is being pressed for political reasons to produce a report before its work is done, colleagues said. So we've talked about this before and, you know, potential October surprises. This could be something. Who knows what exactly they're working on, but indictments of the investigators of the investigators of Trump before the election day, that would certainly be an October surprise or maybe a September surprise. We still have, what, 19 days left in September as of this recording. So there's also a Senate investigation into Hunter Biden and his connection to Ukraine and that whole Burisma business that, from all outward appearances, seems to be a huge nothing burger. Yes, it's an awful look that he had a do-nothing job on Burisma's board of directors and got paid handsomely for it. But sadly, that is quite routine for, you know, ex-politicians and, and members of prominent political families. Another thing is Trump has also, the Trump administration has also told states to be ready to distribute a coronavirus vaccine in late October, just in time for the election. We're not going to have a vaccine by then in all likelihood, but that might not stop Trump from either encouraging some rush job vaccine or saying there's a vaccine right around the corner. We're going to have it by the end of the year just to make him look better. He, that's something he's done before. It's a, it's a strategy he's deployed. You might recall before the, the 2018 elections, what was it, one or two months before the elections, he said, we're working on a, a tax cut bill for the middle class. And they, they, nope, they weren't doing that at all. But he said it because he thought it would make Republicans look good and, and save them and prevent them from losing the house. It, he was unsuccessful, of course. So you could have those, those are possibilities and just a whole galaxy of, of other possibilities. Like you can't rule out anything with this guy at the end. No, you can't, you, you, yeah, you definitely can't rule out anything. But I, I have to say that all of that sounds, it, 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 again, if I'm in Trump's campaign, I'm thinking to myself, these are all Hail Marys. I'm not saying the Hail Mary can't, it isn't going to work, but as you say, they're a bunch of nothing burgers. I mean, the coronavirus vaccine, I think it's pretty certain that they're not going to have anything by, you know, they might they might have data out showing that a vaccine is safe and effective and ready to, you know, but they, they still have to roll the bloody thing out. And the fact is that most of the people who support Trump um, don't believe in vaccines anyway. So it doesn't really make any difference. And no one trusts anything he has to say on the vaccine. So I, I don't know if that helps him particularly you know and all this investigating the investigators over the ukraine scandal uh and and you know and the hunter biden i don't think anyone cared about it in the first place N nobody thought these were serious investigations and it was serious issues anyway you know it's like trump's been talking about obama spying on him you know this is like spygate that nobody other than you know sean hannity viewers and breitbart fans were interested in so i i don't know I'm, I'm looking at it and thinking like he's gonna have to come up with something pretty special over the next eight weeks to try and to, to flip this thing around because the just the numbers aren't there and, I, and i've researched this i've gone in depth into uh, into the polling and into the research done in all these swing states and the voters that trump's losing i don't know where the hell he's going to find these votes across in these swing states i mean i, I don't count the guy the guy out 
obviously i think if anything it's going to be the voter suppression stuff and the usps and the and the and the mail in ballot stuff that's going to be that that could cause a serious problem so i don't think that i think that you know i don't have i'm not so worried about biden losing the election i'm i'm worried more about trump stealing it or not leaving if he loses yeah, or just or just not leaving or just saying it's all a scam and it's all rigged and whatnot uh you know that that i'm certainly concerned about you know so so but i in terms of the actual election what story are they telling i mean what's the what policies where's his health care he hasn't even got a fucking health care plan it's not in the republicans dna to have a health care plan he's been in power for four years and he's been campaigning for a year right almost a year now of campaigning or, or, or you know, or at least you know, eight, seven, seven, eight months of uh, of of getting you know, gearing up for an election, and still no healthcare plan. Like, what's the plan? Again, Republican. It's not in the Republican Party's DNA to have a healthcare plan because that would require a partial changing of the way things are done, right? And it would require money. And Republicans don't like to spend money to help people. Generally speaking, the best thing they could do when they were opposing Obamacare, they didn't have any alternative proposals. The best they could do is come up with tort reform, which meant in that case that they wanted to pass a federal law that limited the amount of money that could be awarded in medical malpractice suits, okay, which is fucking rich for a couple of reasons. One, that would be the federal government telling the states how much could be awarded under instead of the states deciding for themselves what could and could not be doled out as part of a medical malpractice suit. The big bad federal government would step in. And that's what Republicans were advocating at the time, so much for states' rights. And the other part of that is medical costs in this country are expensive, really expensive for a lot of reasons. And one of those is because malpractice insurance does cost a lot of money. Those premiums are a lot. But to think that by lowering the amount, the amount that could be awarded as part of a medical malpractice suit, you would somehow lower the health, the cost of health care overall to any substantial degree, if at all, is fucking absurd. So they've never, well, not never, maybe like Bob Dole had a health care plan way back in the day that kind of looked like Obamacare. But the Republicans have no interest in, in passing a health care plan because it's just not in their DNA to come up with one. Right, but this is this is why I think that uh, you know that he's in trouble because he hasn't got, and he keeps changing the narrative. He keeps trying to you know to find something else to talk about. He's desperate not to talk about the coronavirus, and he's desperate to 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 talk about whatever he thinks will gain him some sort of advantage. Right. I mean, if he, you know, first it goes from Hunter Biden, then it's, then it's, uh, uh, what was, then it's, um, yeah, he's tried to attack Kamala Harris. Then uh, now he's trying to do, you know, law and order. Uh, he's gone desperately trying to talk about uh, Cory Booker and black people coming to the suburbs uh, with low income housing. This, you know, he's switched to racism. He's, he's pulled every trick in the book out to try and, to try to, um, you know, take the reins of the election, but he, there's nothing there. There's no climate policy plan. There's no healthcare policy plan. There's no infrastructure building plan. There's no, there's nothing like it, it's, it's like, does anybody know what Trump is planning for his next four years? Nobody knows. I mean, there was some, there was something that they 
pulled out you know, a few days before the convention or just in time for the convention that was clearly written on the back of a napkin you know and this is their 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 agenda but they haven't he, they haven't talked about it at all Trump hasn't talked about it at all on the campaign trail none of his surrogates have talked about it they've just talked about Antifa and Biden's America which is bizarre that you can have riots and in Trump's America and call it Biden's America. Yeah, it really is a bizarre strategy. I mean, you got Republicans pointing to the this civil unrest in these cities and riots and looting and all this stuff in earnest saying, ah, we're getting a preview of Biden's America. It's like, are you kidding me? This is Trump's America, and this is the most divisive president we have ever had. That Charlottesville speech in August 2017, where he said we have very fine people on both sides, both sides meaning the not racists and the racists slash white supremacists, that typifies his attitude. You know, this guy is willing to burn it all down in an attempt to stay in power. He doesn't care. He If destroying America is the price of him winning, then that's the price that Donald Trump and the rest of us will have to pay if he gets his way. I think, again, I, th- I think, I just get the feeling now that he's this sort of deranged nihilism. It's not working anymore. Like, I just think that everyone, it seems that everyone sort of, they've, they've seen the playbook and kind of had enough of it. It's like, okay, you know, what's it, what kind of b- bullshit is he going to come up with today? And it, it's just not sticking. So I don't know, you know, the, the fact that they're running out of money. Did you read that he ran, apparently they they had like a war chest of like $1.1 billion and they spent $800 million of it with almost nothing to show from it. We're at a 10-point national lead, 10-point deficit in the polls nationally. How can you spend $800 million and still be running at a 10-point deficit? That's ridiculous. I mean, that's why they fired, uh, that's why Trump fired um, uh, Brad Pascal or Pascal or whatever his name is, and, and hired this new guy, uh, Stepien, to, you know, to try and take control of the, try and take control of the campaign because they're basically, they're running out of money and Trump's, Trump himself, Trump is saying he's going to put in a hundred million of his own cash, potentially. I yeah. doubt he's that liquid. Oh, listen, I mean, if you think, look, think about the consequences of him losing. Like, I think they're pretty serious now. I think the appetite will be there to go after this guy after, after he leaves. So I think it's in Trump's interest to spend as much money as he can on keeping himself in power. I be, but I'm saying I bet he doesn't have that money on hand. His net worth is probably all tied, and who knows because we haven't seen his tax returns, his net worth is buildings and brand. And I doubt he is liquid enough where he can just cut a check for $100 million right now. Yeah, He does – he, he does do well in getting earned media. He's a master at that. He got outspent in 2016. He still won in large part because the media could not take their cameras off him. But I guess my point is that if you're in Trump's campaign team right now, you've, things are going to be looking pretty bad. Yeah, but we said this four years ago. <laughs> potentially, potentially, yeah. Look, again, never count the guy out. He, he's he's an absolute master at, at, at landing in shit and coming out smelling of roses. He fails upward. He's born to a rich dad, and it's just like it's it's again another installment of the worst people get ahead, and it's really depressing. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna end the show on a high note. We're gonna buck the trend of ending the show on just awful dystopic notes there was a 
a Trump boat parade in Lake Travis in Austin, Texas. I'm sure you've seen it, Ben. Last week, five boats sank during this boat parade in support of President Trump. Last Saturday, the uh, Travis County Sheriff's Office said they responded to a total of 15 distress calls, which varied and included boats taking on water, stalled engines, capsized boats, and boat sinkings. I will note, nobody was hurt. And it seems that these were caused by waves being left by larger boats and leaving big wakes basically overturning smaller boats, in some cases sinking them. You could not author in your imagination a better metaphor for Trumpism and the Republican Party as it stands today as bigger boats leaving huge wakes, just a wake of destruction, and just causing all of the little boats to sink. It's just, it's a chef's kiss. It was it was glorious, right? I mean, look, no one no one died, uh, no one was seriously injured, so I don't I have absolutely no qualms about laughing my ass off about it. It's fucking hilarious. So uh, if you want to go enjoy your weekend, please go and download some images of that happening. It's absolutely glorious, and hopefully a preview of what's about to happen in November. Magnificent. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, we publish every weekend on Sundays uh, the Banter newsletter. You can also get a two month free trial on the Banter membership. Just click on the lovely red button below this podcast um, and you can get access to all of our premium articles and we'll love you forever. And, Mike, anything else before we head out? Careful of those Trump boat parades. And wear a mask. Take care, everyone. <laughs>